Running the option on first down. Hagan has it. He has Rome. He's got one man to beat. Now he pitches to Flanagan, and he may take it all the way. Flanagan's in for the touchdown. McKinley Wright from the logo. Got it. Oh, McKinley Wright. Welcome into the DNVR Buffs podcast presented by Green Mountain Dental Group. I'm Henry Chisholm, and uh, there's a lot to talk about today. Um, Here's what's going to happen. Real quick, we're going to go over what happened with USC yesterday and why that game got canceled and why the Buffs are now playing San Diego State. From there, uh, we're going to cut to the segment that Ben and I recorded Wednesday night um, after the Buffs' first basketball game of the season. A great win um, and a win that should be getting Buffs fans really excited. Um, We want to get that out of the way early in the show so that if you guys are like listening and it's kind of close to the tip-off of tonight's game against Kansas State at 6.30, you'll get through that part before then, and then you can get to the San Diego State stuff, what to expect tomorrow um, later on. So, yep, that's the plan. Uh, real quick, going to go through what happened with USC, then cutting to the basketball game, and then we're going to talk San Diego State. But first, Green Mountain Dental Group. Uh, that is the place to go for any of your dental needs. They're so good at everything that they do there. The reviews are incredible. You should check those out. Um, and we've actually had a bunch of people reach out to us and tell us that they've switched to Green Mountain Dental um, as their like regular dentist. So if that sounds like you, let us know that that happened and why that happened. Um, We have a couple of guesses. First of all, um, it's very conveniently located just 15 minutes away from downtown Denver in uh, Lakewood. Uh, They're family-owned, so you can feel good supporting them. Um, Also, if you schedule a cleaning x-ray and exam, you can get yourself a free Sonicare toothbrush. So... Um, make sure you take advantage of that deal and get your teeth cleaned uh, at Green Mountain Dental Group. Okay, so the game yesterday, or the game tomorrow against USC was canceled yesterday, um, and that's really disappointing for a bunch of different reasons. Um, We'll talk about those in a second. First, let's talk about what happened. So early in the week, I think on Tuesday maybe, we heard that there was a positive test. Um, and that is a problem, something that we monitored throughout the week. Um, but then yesterday on Thanksgiving, um, USC sent out a release basically saying, um, we have somebody who has symptoms of COVID-19. Um, we're going through and testing them now to see if that's actually what it is. And by the way, we also had a second test positive earlier this week. And so we have two now. We have one more on the way, and uh, then we kind of just had to sit there for eight hours, six hours, something like that, while they went through that whole process. And then uh, pretty late on Thursday, USC basically said, like, yep, we can't do it. Um, And the Pac-12 set out their statement, and uh, that was that for that game. Um, What we have since learned is um, that according to John Wilner of the Mercury News, there were a bunch of people who had either tested positive or had been close contacts of somebody who tested positive in the offensive line group, um, and that put them below the minimum number of offensive linemen that you need to have to be able to play on Saturday, and uh, that is why the game was canceled. So, pretty disappointing. I mean, really disappointing. This this really sucks because this was a great chance for the Buffs to do so many different things. Um, 
first of all, like take a very clear hold of the Pac-12 South. Second, uh, to go to finally be one in fourteen against USC, um, getting their first win ever uh, against the Trojans, and uh, any number of other things um, that really would have been nice to see on that field on Saturday. So it does suck. And before we move on, um, I want to go through what this means for the Buffs in terms of getting to the Pac-12 title game, which was the goal for this season and a goal that is still in reach, but the odds took a hit. Um, You know, we talked all week about what the Buffs could do by beating USC, essentially going up um, in the records above USC having that head-to-head tiebreaker and they would have been most likely like 90-95% chance the Pac-12 South champions if they beat USC and they didn't lose both of their next two games. If they won them both and they were the champs, if they went one and one, they were still like very, very, very likely to be the champs. There is some scenario out there where they could get caught, but even with the cancellations this week, maybe that isn't even true. Um, But now they're in a situation where at the end of the season, when the Pac-12 looks at the conference records, the best that USC can do is 5-0. Because Colorado's had two conference games canceled, the best they can do is 4-0. Yeah, that's right. And that actually means that they tie in terms of the way that everything works because they have the extra rule this year that says that if any team is tied with the first place team by winning percentage, um, which USC would because they have that extra win, even though they're both perfect win percentages, that extra win gives them that. Um, actually, that's not the case that this year because uh, if you're tied in the loss column, then if you're within one win in the win column, uh, it counts as a tie and you go through the tiebreaker procedures. First one is head-to-head, um, and that would have been real nice for the Buffs to have over USC. Um, but then the second one is record within the division. And within the division, the Pac-12 South, USC, if it runs the table, will be 4-0 and because they played the five other teams except for Colorado, um, so 4 um, and Colorado also had its game against Arizona State canceled because Colorado would be 3-0. and There's nothing in the rules about having like the same tied in the loss column, one behind in the win column um, on the Pac-12 website where they break all this stuff down. Uh, so it's pretty safe to assume that that would just be it right there and USC gets the crown. So what the Buffs need is really one of two things, a USC loss in one of its final two games against Washington State and um, UCLA in the final week. Um, If you're kind of like looking at this and saying, well, they do have an outbreak, what does that mean for um, their eligibility going into the next couple of weeks? Well, for the Buffs' sake, they would need to miss two more games for the Buffs to take over that tiebreaker, I guess really tie with USC there. Um and the reason is that they play Washington State next, a Pac-12 North team, and so that not playing that game doesn't change the record within the Pac-12 South, um, so they'd have to not play the UCLA game, so then UCLA probably needs to break out, and that's really not something that we're going to root for here. So um, that's kind of the path. Buffs probably need to win out, um, almost definitely need to win out. I guess not against San Diego State. This game won't really matter um, unless the tiebreakers go down all the way to uh, like college football playoff standing, I think would be the next up. But uh, that's what we're looking at. This sucks if you're a Buffs fan. It really sucks. Um, the path just got harder, and it seems like Colorado is no longer kind of in control of its own destiny, which is just a tough place to be. Um The good news is, unlike last week, Colorado still gets to play a game this weekend despite the cancellation, Um, and that game is going to be against San Diego State. We we learned yesterday that Rick George had been in talks with whoever the athletic director over at San Diego State is, had this ready to go as a contingency plan, and pretty quickly after the game against USC was canceled, 
the game against San Diego State was um, announced. And that's going to be a 3 o'clock game at uh, Folsom Field in Boulder. And it's going to be on the Pac-12 Network. Likely the only Pac-12 football game to be played on Pac-12 Network this season, I believe. Unless that Cal-UCLA was. The the makeup early Sunday morning one. That might have been. But I don't think so. So, that's what's going on. Um, before we talk about the uh, San Diego State Aztecs, uh, we're going to cut over to me and Ben from a couple days ago. Get this out of the way in case you guys are listening on a time crunch before this 6.30 p.m. tip-off against Kansas State tonight. Uh, before we do that, though, got to pay some bills. And first, paying our own bills here at DMVR because today is Black Friday. Uh, we're dreaming of a black Christmas at DMVR. Do you guys need good ideas for Christmas, or do you just want to treat yourself? Well, we're excited to announce our Black Friday and Cyber Monday sales. Get up to 80% off the entire store. Yes, up to 80%. And if you spend $75 pre-tax, we will also give you a $15 gift card that you can apply starting Tuesday, December 1st in the DMVR locker. Last but not least, when you sign up for an annual membership for $59.99, you get a $60 gift card to the DMVR locker. The gift card will also be applied starting Tuesday, December 1st to any purchase uh, this is a great time to support us at DMVR because we are in lockdown again and we've had to close the DMVR bar. Gave you a killer deal on the merch and you're helping support your favorite sports media company. Head over to DMVRlocker.com on Friday and enjoy a weekend of killer deals. Mark your calendars for Friday, which is today, and gear up. Also, uh, if you are looking for an outdoor activity during the shutdown here in Denver, well, look no further. Breckenridge Brewery has set up an awesome skating rink outside of the farmhouse. It's only $3 to skate with your own skates or $6 for skate rental. They also have an awesome tubing hill that is currently free. Parents, enjoy beers and delicious food in a cozy outdoor setup. Let the kids enjoy some winter wonderland fun. If you aren't trying to uh, go out and ice skate... You can support Breckridge Brewery in a bunch of other ways. Remember that supporting our partners is supporting us. Um, you can find your favorite beers, the Palisade Peach, the Colorado Core, the Strawberry Sky, whatever you're into um, at pretty much any place you can buy beer near you if you're in Colorado. Um, but if you're outside of Colorado or if there's one particular beer you want to try, get on the Breckenridge Brewery website, go to the beer locator, and it'll tell you exactly where you can pick up whatever beer that you're trying to get from Breckenridge Brewery. All right. Um, here's uh, what we had to say after the win on Wednesday. All right. So Colorado just won uh, its first game of the season on the basketball side by the score of 84 to 61. A very just clean win, it felt like. You know, I guess there were points where things got a little bit ugly. You know, the turnovers flared up. They gave up probably too many offensive rebounds. Um, but they built a lead early. They held on to that lead. They only had two turnovers in the first half, and they were both offensive fouls. I mean, they did all the things that I think you could ask for them to do. Um, ben, what what's your biggest takeaway from this game? Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely have a lot of takeaways. My biggest one that jumps right off the top is this team has an issue with its rotation in the best way possible. I mean, this team's depth is – I mean, we knew coming into it that this team was going to be deeper than years past because you've got options at guard and at forwards and down low uh, in the post, so you can cycle through guys. But tonight that was on full display – eight players over 15 minutes on the floor. And yeah, I think that could partially be aided by the fact that you're beating, you know, beat the pants off South Dakota, end up winning by 23 points. But the way in which the team was playing in the way in which those eight players were earning their minutes. I mean, you look at, to start with the backcourt, Eli Parquet and McKinley Wright, where you're starting one and two, because obviously Deshaun Schwartz, out of this game, a lot of uncertainty around it. I know uh, Coach Tad Boyle mentioned that there was a possible COVID exposure, so that's why he was held out. Um, so, you know, Eli Parquet gets in that starting lineup. Max Daniels took the three, but really he's a guard. And then you've got Keyshawn uh, Bartholomew, who's coming off the bench and putting up 11 points and seven rebounds. So your backcourt is 
as deep as it has been in a long time. You feel real comfortable there. And then just circling back then to your front court, Dallas Walton and Evan Batty got the start uh, tonight, which I thought was a little surprising. I would have expected uh, Jariah Horn to take the four spot and Evan Batty to take the five spot. But still, Horn got in there, splashed in some threes. And then the young kid, Japari Walker, athletic as all hell, going out there on the boards, putting up some points. I mean, on the whole, this team can beat you in a lot of different ways. Yeah, I, it was just so much fun, you know, because because it's every time there's a substitution, you're on the edge of your seat saying, okay, who do we get to see this time? Right. You know, Tristan Da Silva, he was somebody who had a significant role in this game, somebody we thought we might not even see possibly mm-hmm. this season. You know, it, it's it's pretty crazy to see how all these pieces have come together. And you're totally right that the biggest takeaway has to be the depth. Um I mean, and, and you you brought up the, the depth in terms of all the players who had significant minutes, like the 15 minutes. You look at the points, too. Obviously, yep. Kin leads the way, and that's something we talked about earlier this week. You need to see Kin score more. And he went out there, and he was a dominant scorer to start the game, draw the, drew the defense's attention, and then worked from there. He had 20 points. But behind him, you have Jariah Horn dropping in 11 points. You have Keyshawn Bartholomew with 11 points. You have Jabari Walker with 10 points. You have Maddox Daniels with nine. Eli Parquet with eight. Dallas Walton, eight. Evan Batty, seven. So many people involved in so many areas. You know, you look at that, you could also look at the fact that there were nine players who recorded an assist. You know, this was just a very well-balanced team attack. Um, Everybody took advantage of the opportunities that were given. There were situations where... You know, McKinley Wright, he, he took a couple of deep threes. He, he hit that big one in transition, and mm-hmm. that's something we talked about. You know, he has a feel for when the time is that he can do the things that he's capable of doing and when it's time to just run a functional offense. And having him kind of pulling the strings with all of this, with Keyshawn Bartholomew right next to him, um, with Keyshawn also uh, taking the reins for himself at times to, yep. to spell McKinley it, it it looks like a very just just healthy basketball team that's well balanced and can do so many different things. Um, here's a question for you: Where is there more depth, front court or back court? At this point, I would say front court, and the reason I say that is no. You know what? I'm gonna take it back. I'm gonna say the back court, <laughs> and the hard. reason I'm gonna say that, and, and I, real quick, I think that just shows you how great this depth is. Is that I'm not even sure. I'm gonna say the back court, and because. You had Keyshawn Bartholomew today coming off the bench for 11 points, seven rebounds. He also had three assists, shot the ball very well uh, from the charity stripe, Uh, very efficient, and and he was on the ball a lot. He was making plays. He was making himself known. He really didn't play scared, uh, which I I really thought was good because this was his first time out there in a college basketball game. So I love seeing that from him. And also, Maddox Daniels, I thought, took a really big step forward tonight. He shot the ball well, two for four from three, which is really what you need from him. You need him to be a 40 to 50% guy from deep. If he can keep that up, you're feeling great about having him out there. Um, His plus minus on the night was 20, which was second on the team. So Maddox Daniels had a really impressive night. And then again, you've got Eli Parquet, who's going to be a solid contributor for you. He's not necessarily going to be the flashiest player, but he is very sound on the defensive end. And also he can hit shots, you know, if he, if he's given the chance, he banked in a three, he also switched to three. So, you know, had one great shot, got lucky on another one, but yeah, his, his defensive presence too is really big there. So I think those four guys are going to be really key to the buffs making a run because McKinley Wright and Bartholomew, they're going to be the two that are kind of switching out as the ones that are running the show. And obviously they're going to be on the court at the same time, sometimes as well. But then Parquet and Daniels are going to kind of be your more situational players if you need an offensive spurt or if you need a defensive presence. So you've got everything that you need out of those four guys. You really don't – you're not left wanting anything when you look at them on the floor. Yeah. The team is just built so well. And and I had some questions coming into the game. I I think, like, reasonable questions. You know, can you rely on – uh, Jabari Walker to, to give you consistent good minutes in the front court. He, he, he did tonight and he did it in a way that should make you really excited for the future because as much as he 
played well, you could see how he could have done more. You know, there, mm-hmm. there were more blocks out there for him. There were, there were more points out there for him for sure. Uh, I, I think that that question has been answered. You want to get Jabari Walker on the floor. Yep. You know, you, you look at Keyshawn Bartholomew, same question. And in my opinion, same answer, you know, he did get, uh, scored on there was like a back cut behind him uh, things like that that it happens when you're a freshman you know I think that for him Tad Boyle after the game was saying like we have been harping on him about defensive energy defense all that kind of stuff and it's obvious why like like he's yeah. definitely more of an offensive player than a defensive player but you certainly saw enough to think wow we want to get him more minutes uh, Tristan De Silva the the finishing wasn't quite what it needed to be you know got a couple shots blocked down the post um mm-hmm. and and that part was a, a little bit ugly but outside of that he looked like he belonged out there and is he somebody who you want to roll out there when you play a team with some more length probably not yet but if you're forced in that situation for me as somebody who follows the buffs i am very excited to see it and then you just look through, like, you can go position by position, say, okay, McKinley Wright starting. Behind him, you have Keyshawn. Eli Parquet at the two. Behind him, you have uh, maybe Neat Clifford. Um, maybe Maddox Daniels is kind of his backup there. When Deshaun Swartz takes his starting spot, the three, that's where Maddox Daniels really fits well as a backup. Then you have, uh, you know, J- Jabari Walker behind Evan Batty. You have Dariah Horn behind Dallas Walton. Like, this is just so deep. And so consistently deep at every spot throughout the rotation, the ceiling is very high for this team. And I think that has to be the biggest takeaway is that, you know, you come into this year saying this should be a good basketball team. We saw what they could do last year. And we saw for most of the season, them doing it. Now they lose Tyler Bay. Now they lose Lucas Seward and Shane Gatling. What does that mean? Well, it means that the people who said that they should be seventh in the Pac-12 were wrong. And yeah. and they were not outsmarting us or anything like that. They just didn't pay enough attention or something because this team is one of the best teams in the Pac-12, and I'm very confident in that. Um, I want to talk a little bit about Dry Horn now, though. Absolutely. Because I, uh, I was disappointed in him for very, a significant portion of the game. And then there was this three-minute spurt where he hit a couple of threes he he had a nice drive to the hoop and you saw just how explosive he could be on offense which is not something that i i had really associated with him i saw him as more of like this steady rock somebody you put out there and you're like yeah you know what he will do good things for you I didn't see him as somebody who was going to go just kind of fill it up in a couple of minutes and get the majority of his points right there. Um, the numbers aren't great. 4-14 shooting, most shots on the team, a couple more than Ken. Um, but what did you think of Jariah's debut as a buff? Yeah. I mean, I, I honestly, I think he was saved by that three, kind of three possession run there when he splashes in 3-3-3 three, 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 and all of a sudden you see why this coaching staff was excited to have him here because he does have that offensive presence. And like you said, too, that drive to the rim, that was also impressive. I think we saw all, all parts of the spectrum with Jariah Horn tonight, whereas like a guy with McKinley, like McKinley Wright, I mean, there's nothing I can say bad about his game tonight. Jariah Horn, on the other hand, again, you saw he is a confident shooter. He's not afraid to take a jump shot from deep. And you love that from the stretch four because it's going to open up the paint because defenders are going to have to pull out on him. And you saw that he had a shy pump fake and was able to drive to the lane because they had to play him true around the arc. But the inconsistency was a little shocking because I was in the same boat. You were, I knew he could shoot the ball from deep. I thought it was going to be more of a take it when it's open play as a role player or not, you know, I, I'm not sure what to attribute it to. If it's because it's his first game as a buff, if he's still not necessarily, you know, in rhythm, it'll be interesting to see how it goes moving forward. I'm very interested to see how it plays against Kansas state because we saw some very high highs and yeah, we saw some very low lows. Yeah. Um, an- another guy who I was really impressed with Dallas Walton. Mm-hmm. He looked like everything I had hoped that he would be this season. You know, it's easy to look through what he'd been through and say, okay, he was really good as a starter, as a freshman. He tore his ACL as a sophomore, as 
uh, I, I'd say, I think he was a redshirt sophomore last year is what they counted him as. You saw him progress throughout the season. And then the question was, well, what is he this year? And what he is this year is a really good center, <laughs> yeah. a really, really good, surprisingly mobile seven footer. And, and it's probably not surprising to Buffs fans who were around when he was a freshman. Um, but for me, who just started covering this team last year, there's a, there's a whole new aspect that opponents have to account for when they're going up against Dallas Walton. You know, that combination of size and length and shooting ability and quickness, the sky is the limit for Dallas Walton. And I really think that just having a seven footer who can do all those things and do them at such a high level, that might have been the piece that was missing for Colorado last year. Yeah. I mean, he, he showed so many different aspects of his game tonight. He took that really deep two, which is such a bad shot from a percentage standpoint, knocks it in. He gets a dunk, knocks that down. He, he, I think he had two dunks actually. I can't, can't quite recall. He, did a lot. And he also provided a big lift on the glass, which was a huge concern for this team going into this year because you lost Tyler Bay. What was this team's identity going to be on the glass? Dallas Walton, he's so big. You just need him out there and you have an identity. There were a couple times on defense where I think he is still getting into the flow of the game. Um, and part of that too is just because he's a seven footer and he can get stuck in some, some tough situations. One that comes to mind is, um, South Dakota was coming down the court and it was clear they were setting a pick. Dallas Walton came out very, very high to try and guard that pick and roll, ended up getting stuck because they were outside the three point line. And so that's just a situation where I think he was playing just a little overly aggressive, did not, you know, set his feet and, and was not ready to kind of backtrack from that positioning, but still really strong game from him and, and promising and encouraging. Those are the two words with guys like Dallas Walton coming off the injury. And then guys like Bartholomew and Jabari Walker, you want all those guys to show promise because this is the first game of the season. They're all getting their, their feet wet in, in college hoops. You've got two young guys, one, a true freshman, one, a redshirt freshman. And you've got another guy who had a very tough knee injury. And I think both Jabari Walker and Dallas Walton's impressive output, I think might overshadow the fact that, and, and this is pivoting a little bit, I was, I was very disappointed in Evan Batty tonight. I think he had a tough night. Um, you know, obviously he was only shooting, I think it's three for eight. Uh, he, he clanked a three-pointer, one for two from the line. And the thing with Batty is he got into foul trouble, which we know is, is a problem. He's consistently gotten into foul trouble throughout his entire career. You would have hoped to maybe see that switched off, especially when you've got another guy like Dallas Walton who might absorb some of the big, you know, the big guy fouls that, Evan, Evan Batty normally gets. Instead, they both find themselves in foul trouble with nine total between them. That is concerning because, again, this team's got depth, but you don't want to be forced to use your depth if you don't have to. I agree. Um, Evan Batty is definitely capable of more. Mm -hmm. um, at the same time, though, a couple of those early possessions in the post when he just got the ball and, and got to work, you saw just how refined his game can be when he's down in the post. I mean, there was a pass too. I can't remember who he passed to, um, but it was it was from one corner all the way to the other yeah. corner. Was um, it the one to Daniels for that corner three? I th that that sounds right. But that pass too, just on a line yeah. weaving through there, and, and another pass, same end of the court, uh, McKinley Wright getting it in uh, into the middle for a layup. I can't remember who that was one to was either, but that was like a no look through. Three it was, guys. That one was to Batty actually. Yeah. Was it to Batty? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, if Evan is definitely capable of more. Um, and the foul trouble is something that he needs to solve. Like he's to the point in his career where it's like, yeah, don't let this happen. And I, I guess I didn't really see if they were tough calls. I'm not remembering any that I don't think should have been called. I remember there were a couple he was upset about, mm -hmm. but I'll blame the lack of replays on me not having like strong takes about whether he deserved them. I, I, I do think that he can play better. Um, who else do we need to touch on before we wrap this up? Um, Maddox Daniels just has such a diverse game and we kind of touched on this already, but he seems like he's added quite a bit compared to last year, including yeah. like defensive senses, maybe mm -hmm. um, Eli Parquet doesn't seem to be, Again, it's only one game, but he doesn't seem to be somebody who like scares me when he has the ball in his hands anymore. I guess more than anything, like you just 
trust him on offense in a way that I didn't quite trust him last year. Yeah, he's um, going to get the job done, which which is a good yeah. spot to be in for a guy that realistically is going to be your third or fourth option for bringing the ball to the court. That's that's a totally fine way to feel about him as a role player. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think, honestly, that was pretty much it. I, I will say I was hoping to see just a little bit more of Luke O'Brien and Neek Clifford. Yeah. Um, but when they did get in, you saw why maybe they didn't get in earlier. Like, it's not like they played poorly, but they played when they des- deserved to play. You know, that that was how it should go. Late in the game, Keyshawn Bartholomew gets to run point with some of these young guys. And there were good things, there were bad things. Um, not much you can take note of. Um, any other takeaways that you have from this one? Just uh, from a macro holistic level, I just want to look at some of the big picture stats that I think are, are nice. on the game from the free throw line. That's a great clip. You want to keep that up. Um, Tad mentioned after the game that uh, one of the stats that they really like or something that they try to do is make more free throws than the opponent shoots. And the opposite happened. Uh, (laughs) Actually, South Dakota made more free throws than the buff shot. Uh, So that's something to watch for in the next one. Huh. Well, you know, and that's that's easy to see when you've got Walton and Batty combining for those nine personal fouls. Yeah. Um, but yeah, 93 percent from free throws uh, from the free throw line and then 40 percent from three. That's another big number. Mm-hmm. You know, you were curious about where the shooting was going to come from. And, you know, it, it came from a lot of places. I think horns, you know, three in a row. That obviously helps boost that number because they started out cold. They started out over five from deep. Um, so three point and free throw shooting are very good. One area you want to see maybe bump up a little bit more is just simply your field goal percentage from the floor. 41%. They were 30 of 73. Not a horrible number because you obviously put up 84 points, which is you know something Buffs fans aren't necessarily accustomed to. Um, and honestly, I'm going to attribute a lot of that to Jariah Horn. You know, 10 misses from the floor when you've got other guys like McKinley Wright, who's, you know, 8 of 12. If you just change the distribution of those shots, I think that percentage is going to go up. So on the whole, very impressed with the win. Obviously, the quality of opponent, you know, should be considered, but a 23-point win in college basketball over anybody is a great margin. Stuff that they can work on moving forward, but on the whole, again, very impressive win and excited to see what they do about can- – uh, with – or against, pardon me, can- against Kansas State on Friday. <laughs> yeah. I mean, to me, this was – this wasn't a game where there was any, like, upside for the Buffs. There was nothing that the Buffs could really do um, to to change the perspective of them against South Dakota. And, and to me, this isn't like a game where the result really matters. I mean, unless they actually lose, but that would be a huge surprise. It's a game where it's all about the eye test. You know, mm-hmm. did it look like they did what they should be doing against a, an inferior opponent, an undersized opponent that's not quite as athletic and not quite as skilled as you? And what I saw is that they did. Um, you brought up the 40% from three, the 10 of 25. I'm not sure what like the low point was, but at one point they were one for six from three and to come back from that after having a slow start and get all the way to 40%, that's really impressive. Mm -hmm. And I I think that this team has real shooting upside, you know, Dallas Walton can shoot and he did shoot and he made one. uh, I guess it wasn't technically a three, but he had a foot on the three-point line when he shot it. You know, Evan Batty took one. I want to see him make one before I'm ready to say he should be shooting as well, but I am open-minded. Um, Maddox Daniels can shoot. Eli Parquet, that's what he should be doing. He yeah. should be playing his ass off on defense and then running up to the corner and sitting there until it's time to run his ass off again. Yep. Uh, McKinley Wright, I mean, that man can do whatever he wants. Uh, <laughs> I-, I would be fine with him taking more threes. You have Tristan De Silva, who's a shooter. Jabari Walker's a shooter. Jariah Horn's a shooter. This is a team of shooters. Keyshawn Bartholomew's a shooter. They didn't fall for him tonight. We only had like the one of the four, but there is real offensive firepower. There are guys who can shoot. There are guys who can get downhill. Um, you saw Keyshawn Bartholomew hit a floater. You saw McKinley Wright. Obviously, he can do that. Like that isn't maybe an NBA player. I'm not sure if this is a hot take, but. I think it points this season. You're going to watch McKinley Wright and say, that's an NBA player playing college basketball right now. And mm-hmm. there were flashes of that tonight. Yeah. Um, you, just the, the diversity on offense and the faith 
that I mean, honestly, you could go into this and look at the buffs and say this defense will be good, not knowing anything on, about the roster, just because of blind faith in Tad Boyle. And mm-hmm. I wouldn't fault you for it. I would say like, yeah, that's reasonable. If me and you were to go out there, I, I think that we would get beat up, but I think we would surprise some people with how well we defend. <laughs> so when you know that you have that defense and then obviously they do have the skills, they do have players who can defend combining that with the offense with the depth and the depth which can create so many different looks you can give teams you can go really big you can go really small you can go heavy on the shooters you can go heavy on the defense this is going to be a fun team for tad Boyle to coach and honestly i think it's going to be pretty tough for him to screw it up and not saying like i i expect him to find ways to screw things up because i don't i i believe in him as a coach i I just think, like, if you put me at coach, I could find a way to to bring this team to 17 wins? 15, let's say 15. Let's be realistic. <laughs> 15 and 12 in a 27-game season. I think I could do it. And I think that that means Tad Boyle has an incredibly high ceiling uh, this season. Yeah. I mean, this, this is an exciting team. I think any reservations that Buffs fans might have had coming into tonight, I really think – we're for the most part alleviated. I mean, we can be nitpicky and say, well, Evan Batty should be, you know, he, he can do better than that. And he can. And Jariah Horn, he should be taking a better percentage of, of his looks. And he can. But realistically, this team just put up 84 points. They showed a lot of different things. And there's a lot of reasons to be excited. Now, it was one game against South Dakota. And I'm not one to temper expectations. But I'm just interested to see how, how this team progresses. You've got a game now against K-State. Uh, and by the time the listeners hear this, that game's going to be tonight. Um, so that's going to be a big one. K-State dropped a game to Drake. So this, again, is a game you need to win. You need to come out of this week 2-0. and And then next week, you start conference play. You're going to travel to Arizona next Thursday. And then you've got a game at home against Washington State. So you'll be 2-0 heading into that, and that's going to be your first big test. So I think this week is important to iron out some of those, you know, bigger wrinkles, get some confidence, get some swagger in your play, and then go make a statement in conference week. And realistically, in the next week or two, this bus team could really be ranked nationally with a lot more attention than they've been getting. And the Pac-12 media poll is going to be laughable, too, at this point in two weeks. It really could be. Seriously, it really could be. Um, before we get out of here, since uh, this will go on the podcast on Kansas State game day, let's start with uh, – uh, there are two questions. The first one is going to be a bit negative. Um, of all the good things that you saw tonight, what one thing do you think you don't see against Kansas State? Um, I would ex- – I'd probably expect a drop in three-point percentage, to be honest. I, th- I think 40 is is a, is a re- very good number. I would not be surprised if that number drops and, and levels out around the 30, 33 mark. Um, and, and realistically, against an opponent like K-State, that's really not going to throw you off. Um, so I'll look to it at rebounding. I wouldn't be surprised if rebounding takes another step back because you're moving from South Dakota and K-State. Again, they lost their game today. They're not – you know, they're not the cream of anyone's crop, but they're a big 12 school. You know, they're playing against against top notch opponents. They're going to have a lot better of recruits. So I would not be surprised as well if rebounding takes a step back. And that would be concerning, um, especially if it's by dramatic margin, because as soon as you up the opponent level and really up the athleticism of your opponent, if you are dropping your rebounding percentage by a by a large amount, that's going to be a, a problem, especially when then you're turning around, you're going to Arizona, you know? So those are two areas where I would expect to see a drop because both of them were a lot higher than people expected. Um, but that's not necessarily to say that drop uh, is going to be detrimental, obviously, depending on the degree. Yeah, I would agree. Rebounding is my number one. You know, they, they were plus three in the rebounding margin tonight. It helps that, South Dakota missed so many more shots than Colorado (laughs) missed. You know, uh, your leading rebounders, it was a tie. It was a tie between Dallas Walton and Keyshawn Bartholomew. I'm not sure that Keyshawn Bartholomew is getting that many rebounds when you are playing a team that's a little bit longer, a little bit more athletic. So I think you hit the nail on the head there. Um, What is the one good thing you saw tonight that you are confident that you'll see again on Friday? 
Um, this one is going to be, I'm going to say first half turnovers because they, they got sloppy in the second half. So they ended up with eight total turnovers in the game, which I still think is a, is a good number, especially yep. because last season they had a lot of turnover problems, but they only had two in the first half. And so I thought they played very clean basketball. And obviously the numbers tell that, but like we've talked about throughout this entire segment, they were moving the ball around. I think you said nine players ended up tallying an assist. They are playing unselfish basketball, which means they're not afraid to, to pass the ball around. So the fact that they only had two turnovers in the first half shows that they're also crisp. They know where each other, uh, they're, they're, uh, uh, excuse me, where their other players, their teammates is the word I was looking for there. They know where their teammates are going to be. Um, and that's really promising. I think a lot of those turnovers in the second half, they just came because the buffs were up 20 this entire game. So you're going to be willing to take more chances um, and just be a little bit more loose with the basketball. So I was very impressed by the crispness of their passing and the lack of turnovers. And I, I would expect that con- to continue because now they've shown they, they can play that way. Um, coming into tonight, I haven't seen a Buffs team where I felt confident in their abilities to take care of the basketball. Now that they've shown that they can do it, I want to see them do it again. And I want to see them improve, put together an entire game of basketball where you're really only at like four or five turnovers. I think that would be a very impressive mark, especially against a lower opponent like K-State. They can do it. Yep. Um, I, I think I'll go with assists as well. I, I think that the assists, no, I, like they hit 20 on the dot. I think they get to 20 again, and that's a great number, but that's the way this offense runs. You know, with with all these guys who are such great passers, it, it looked like how I think we all wanted it to look, just so smooth and healthy. The ball wasn't stopping. And, and when it did stop, it seemed like it was for a reason. You know, it was because they said, you know what? We want to get Evan Batty a look in the post. We want to let him get to work in the post. And it just felt like it was so orchestrated mm-hmm. in terms of when the ball went where. And and I think that that's something we're going to keep seeing. I think that you have, honestly, a lot of the time, two point guards out there on the floor in McKinley Wright and Keyshawn Bartholomew who have a, a great sense of the game. And I think that when you have those two out there, it's going to be so hard to make that offense not look good. And I think that the, the safest way to gauge how well this offense performs this season is going to be by the assists. And I, I think that 20 should be the benchmark. And I think they hit it again on Friday. Yeah. Yeah. And, and one final note too, and this is totally off topic, but I will say if McKinley Wright puts up another game like this on Friday, he is going to solidify himself in that player of the year conversation up there with, with the likes of Remy Martin. I mean, he, he put on a show tonight and I think the stat sheet doesn't do it justice because realistically, if the bus kept their gas pedal down, he could have dropped 30 easily, easily. He was shooting the ball consistently. His floaters were impeccable. McKinley Wright, I, I DNVR Buffett's account tweeted out senior kin is a vibe. It's a mood. It's a lifestyle. He is out there for blood. He's ready to prove NBA scouts that he can do it. And after game one, I'm not going to be the one to say he could. He can't. (laughs) Seriously. Seriously. And the difference between him and Remy Martin, he knew when to take his foot off the gas. He knew when to say, I can get mine. But what would really go well is if we just keep moving this ball around and get it to whoever's open because I don't need to go drop 30. And, And it's a decision for him. 30 points is a decision for McKinley Wright. And he made the right decision tonight like he always does. Uh, Thanks, Ben, for doing this. And uh, we will talk again, I guess, Friday night, tonight to the podcast listeners. uh, Plug it in on the post-game pod Saturday. Actually, now that I think of it, I don't know how that's going to work. But we'll figure it out then. Uh, Sounds good. Thanks, Ben. Yeah, of course. The holiday season is in full swing. And with the professional and collegiate football seasons Entering the playoff push, DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook, wants to put you in the center of the action. If you haven't tried it yet, head to the App Store now because you don't want to miss what DraftKings Sportsbook has to offer. To celebrate Sunday's action, DraftKings is ensuring all new customers are covered up to $100. That's right. You bet they cover with risk-free Sunday betting on all of Sunday's action. Don't miss out on Sunday night's pivotal matchup between bitter divisional rivals, so get in on all of the action now. On top of that great sign-up offer, DraftKings Sportsbook has special odds boosts and promotions every day of the week. 
DraftKings is safe, reliable, and secure, making it easy for you to deposit and withdraw your money at your convenience. So, download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code DNVR when you sign up to get this can't-miss offer. DraftKings Sportsbook is ensuring your Sunday bets up to $100. That's right, new customers can bet this Sunday risk-free up to $100 when you use promo code DNVR during sign-up. For a limited time, only at DraftKings Sportsbook, must be 21 or older, uh, must be physically located in Colorado, risk-free coverage paid out in site credits, restrictions apply, see DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. Strava Craft Coffee is a CBD-infused coffee that is really changing lives. Whether you have anxiety or body pains or whatever, CBD may be able to help, and Strava Craft Coffee is the best way to try it. Um, if you've never tried the rich CBD-infused Strava Craft Coffee, you can use code DMVR20 and save 20% off your first order. If you're a huge fan of Strava, you can now save 20% by heading to their website and subscribing. You have the option of getting your coffee every two, three, four, six, or eight weeks, and you get 20% off of any product product that you're subscribing to. Tag Strava and us when you get your purchase to let them know that our community is supporting them. Uh, you guys can sign up and cancel at any time, no strings attached. Um, and uh, you can also try Strava Craft Coffee at Carbon Cafe and Bar, Drip Denver, Slow High Coffee, Blue Sparrow Coffee, Max Market. Um, again, it can help with so many different things that you could be dealing with. So check it out. Use code DMVR20 to get 20% off your first purchase or subscribe and get any product you're subscribing to, whether it's whole beans or grounds or K cups, whatever, 20% off every single time. Um, and you'll get that shipped straight to your door. Okay. Um, time to talk about San Diego state. So, the truth is, I don't know a whole lot about San Diego State. You know, I was all ready to be talking about USC today, going back and, like, watching some old games. And I'd, I'd seen most of them because, you know, that's just what we do. We watch Pac-12 football here. And what we don't do is watch a whole lot of Mountain West football. And so I didn't really come into this with too much knowledge of San Diego State. But I went through a whole bunch of numbers, thanks to the good people over at Pro Football Focus, um, I, I went back and watched, let's see, I watched the Nevada game from last weekend, and I definitely have some notes and some things to watch for um, in this game that is tomorrow. Um, another important note, um, so Carl Durrell has said throughout the week that they are solely focused on USC. They aren't peeking at anybody else. Um, they know that that's a game that they have to win. Well, now that game is off. And they, I assume, have been scrambling to go back and watch film and do all of the things that you need to do to get ready for a totally new opponent 48 hours, less than 48 hours before kickoff. Um, that's something that I don't know how often it's been done in college football before this season, but it's what they're dealing with right now. Um, meanwhile, we did hear last night um, I can't remember who it was, but somebody reported that San Diego State had been call uh, preparing for Colorado for a day and a half. That came out about the same time last night that the news of the game came out. So basically, they had been looking since uh, probably Tuesday, early afternoon, maybe in the morning, um, at Colorado, going through what they need to know, um, teaching it to the players, all that kind of stuff. Um, and, and so San Diego State does have that leg up on Colorado, which I think is an important detail to know as we go into this. Um, here's what we learned about San Diego State. So San Diego State is one of the more talented Mountain West teams. Uh, they're four and two now, um, but they have a lot of very good players. Um, coming in the season, they had two first team preseason all Mountain West players on the defensive line and two more in the secondary, um, a cornerback and a safety. So the defense really is the strength. That's something that we've known. Uh, you can look at the numbers and see that they have some of the best uh, numbers in terms of points allowed this season, in terms of yards, and that's something that's been true for the last couple of years. It isn't just some mirage. It's kind of tough to gauge what that means um, in terms of them in the larger landscape of college football, 
when the season is so insulated. You know, they're only playing Mountain West teams, and so you don't get to see, you know, what would they look like if they had taken on um, a Power 5 team? What would they have looked like if they had taken on a different group of five team? We just don't really know. What we know is that within that team, they are a lot stronger on defense than they are on offense, and that strength on both sides really starts in the run game. Um, it's worth noting, I was just kind of going through and looking at what people were saying before the season. Um, Athlon Sports did their own Mountain West teams, all Mountain West teams. Um, and they actually put together four of them, unlike the Mountain West Conference, which only releases like the first team preseason all Mountain West. Again, two defense alignment, two DBs. Well, Athlon had the same thing. No offensive players on the first team, uh, two defense alignment, two DBs. Um, on the second team, they uh, had another safety, so both their safeties are now listed. Um, and they also had two of their offensive linemen. Then they had a receiver in the tight end on uh, the fourth team. So just so you kind of know how that talent breaks down, um, that's kind of what you expect there. They were, like I said, were a very good defense last year as well. This isn't some like new thing that's happening. This has been something that's been building at San Diego State over the course of, I mean, really a decade or so. This is a team that runs the ball, that stops the run, and in the Mountain West, that's going to be enough to win you a lot of games. Um, the secondary is also very good, but uh, I believe they brought back seven starters on defense this year. They lost their linebackers, and that is kind of the big question mark with the team. Um, so far, they've been just fine. Um, they haven't had many issues there, um, but that is kind of what you need to know is that that, in theory, is kind of the weakness. Um and I expect to see the Buffs attack that. In terms of what they do, um, they play man, they play zone, uh, they're pretty versatile, and one of the things that they are really successful with is their third down packages. You know, you think of what the Buffs do on third downs, bringing everybody up to the line, blitzing some, dropping off others. You know, they just give so many different looks. That's the same thing that San Diego State does, and and like Colorado, they do it very well. And it works for them because their run defense is so stout. They're able to put people in third and sevens, third and sixes, and force them to throw the football because you can't run and expect to pick up the yardage. And when you know that they're going to be throwing, you don't have to respect the run game. You can line up in a straight pass rush look, and San Diego State has done that very, very well. Um, one more note on the defense, um, last week when they played Nevada, they gave up a couple of big plays. One in particular that stands out, you know, th there's this receiver for Nevada who he, he's averaging like 40 yards per touchdown catch over 40 yards per touchdown catch, just a straight downfield deep threat. And he got one against San Diego state. And that kind of leads you into this question again of like, what does that mean? Like, if this guy, who's one of the better deep threats in the Mountain West, can get loose and go get himself a touchdown against this defense, does that mean that Brandon Rice can and Vontae Chenault and Daniel Arias? How big is this separation between the Mountain West and the Pac-12 this year? Because typically, there's a pretty significant separation. Um, and so, while this defense is really good, I think you have to question, like, Against the Buffs' offensive line, how good is the defensive line? Uh, and and I, I do think that like I you don't want to not give credit to San Diego State for what they've been able to do. Um, but in the back of your mind, when you're going through all this and taking them very seriously and saying, okay, this is a very good defense. They they gave up like 12 points per game last year. It's one of the best in the entire country. What if they had? been playing UCLA. What does UCLA's offense do to them compared to Nevada's offense last week? Nevada undefeated, by the way. It's not like that's a bad program either. Um, they can do some things. Uh, and, and that really is like the biggest question mark to me, especially in this season where everything is so insulated. You don't get to see San Diego State against anybody else other than Mountain West teams uh, until this week. Um, and so I, I'm going to be curious to see how you attack that defense because it is good and it is good pretty much at all three layers you know the linebackers despite the question marks have been solid um I, I think that what you do is start running the ball and see if you can if you can make it work um 
and then go from there. Um, offensively, they they have some question marks. Um, the first thing you're going to notice is that, that they wear really, really dumb numbers. I think that their three starting receivers are number like 45, 92, and 96, something like that. And it's just so annoying to watch. Um, it's awful. It really is awful. Um, but despite those numbers, they're actually not all that bad. Um, you know, before we get to the receivers, let, let's talk more. Let's talk about the quarterback situation. So they have two quarterbacks, one who played last year and they were really excited about and played, I think, the first, was it three games of this season? Um, before he got benched for a grad transfer, dual threat guy, um, who took over and, and played pretty well. Um, that's something to pay attention to. Uh, I I guess I haven't seen for sure, like, are they switching back? Is this a permanent thing? Was it just for a man? I don't know. But I would expect to see Lucas Johnson, the dual threat, out there this week. Um, and, and some notes on him, and, and really the other quarterback as well, they struggle on deep balls. They really struggle on deep balls. Um, and if you're a Buffs fan, knowing what you know about the Buffs defense, what you want to see is a team that wants to run it at you. Um, and somebody who isn't going to test that young secondary, that's going to be the game plan. Um, it's also worth noting that I think, is it 55% of the passes that Lucas Johnson threw, um, as the starter last week were off of play action. And for the season, I think the other quarterback was at like 45%. So what they do is run the ball and then work the ball downfield off of that play action. Um, Their running game is very good. It's very diverse. It's one of the best, I mean, maybe the best in the Mountain West. What does that mean in terms of the larger college football scene? Again, it's just so hard to tell. Um, Their their lead back, they have the three running back rotation for the most part. They'll get a couple other guys in too, potentially. Um, But Greg Bell, uh, he's just a good zone runner. Um, He's exactly what you expect a good zone runner to be. You know, uh, he he sees the field well. He finds the hole. He changes angles on defenders. He sets up his blockers. And and he has some of those like bowling ball qualities um, where guys will just bounce off him a little bit. Now... Is Nate Landman bouncing off of him? I don't think so. Akeel Jones? Again, I don't really think so. But that's why you play the game to see for sure. Um, Outside of him, they have some speedier guys. Um, Chance Bell is next up in touches. He's pretty fast. Um, Right behind him is Jordan Bird. Uh, 85% of Jordan Bird's rushing yards this season have been on runs of 15 yards or more. They're explosive. With Chance Bell, Jordan Bird, Greg Bell doing the majority of the work. A little bit more of a... I mean, he actually has a pretty significant percentage of his rushing yards on those explosive plays as well. Um, and that's something you have to watch out for. And it's kind of interesting looking at where where San Diego State runs the ball. Um, it, it's basically either they're running next to the center, they're, they're running st- straight ahead right in the middle of the line, or they're running all the way out to the edge. Like it, it's 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 pretty crazy to see. It, it's kind of like watching uh, if you guys are NBA fans, like the Houston Rockets, uh, and the way that they set their team up, where it's all just about efficiency. What are the most efficient shots? Three pointers and layups. And you look at the shot chart after the game, and it's all shots right next to the basket, or it's all or, or, or shots outside of the three-point arc. There's really nothing in between. It's just like this big empty space. And that's kind of what San Diego State does. They either want to pound it right up the middle or they want to run stretches or tosses and try to get these guys in space outside. And it forces you to to either overcommit inside or overcommit outside. This Buffs run defense has been so good, though, that I don't think that they get too scared. You know, you have Jalen Sami right there in the middle of the line. He should be able to bottle up anything that's going up the middle, uh, especially with Nate Landman right behind him. When you get to the edges, you know, maybe there are some questions. Carson Wells has been really good this year. The other side with Jamar Montgomery and Guy Thomas, they've been good too, 
will they be able to set the edge? I think this would be a great game for Chris Miller to get back for so that he can be setting that opposite edge from the star position um, and making some plays. Um, I, I'd expect to see a lot from these these edge defenders, um, whether it's him, whether it's uh, uh, Carson Wells. Um, so keep an eye on that. And again, they haven't been all that successful throwing the ball downfield. Um, you saw the the reliance on play action, but what they really want to do is run the ball. And if the Buffs can stop them, they're going to be able to get into their third down packages and, and pressure Lucas Johnson, who, again, he can run. He's not somebody who you can ignore, and I think that that was kind of the missing dynamic. It's not that he's a much better passer or decision maker than the, the quarterback they had through uh, the majority of the season. It's the athleticism that adds another dynamic. You know, when they went up early, I think they went up 7-3. to three. Uh, That was on like a 30-yard run from Lucas Johnson just because there was a running lane, and so he took it instead of throwing the ball. Um, but really, though, these are some very similar teams in a lot of ways. Um, Colorado and San Diego State. You have to think that Colorado has like the, the size and strength and speed advantage. It's not a super wide advantage because this is one of the better group of five teams and one of the best group of five defenses that you're going to see anywhere. Um, but on both sides of the ball, both teams really want to run. They want to be able to run the ball and then build off of that. Um, and whichever team is able to do it better is going to be the team that probably wins. So uh, before we get out of here, um, I want to give you a DraftKings pick of the week. Um, we've got a, a couple of games to run through, um, Utah, Washington, Washington minus seven. I, I like Utah there with the points. Um, UCLA is Arizona, UCLA minus 10. I like Arizona there with the points. Um, and, uh, those are my two picks. Um, Oregon, Oregon state, Oregon's favored by 13 and a half. Oregon should cover that. At the same time, though, they uh, sometimes underperform. Stanford, Cal, Stanford is a one-and-a-half point favorite. I'm staying away from that. Um, not only are they two teams that are underwhelming this year compared to what I expected, uh, but it's also a rivalry game. No reason to pick a side there. Uh, I do feel good about both these underdogs uh, covering um, in Arizona against UCLA and Utah against Washington. All right, that's going to do it for today. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow with another, uh, well, I guess it's going to be the live post game as we always do. Me and Ben and Ryan will be coming to you from the DMVR studios talking about what happens in this game. Uh, so when the game is over, head over to YouTube, jump on the DMVR page, and we'll be there talking live, hopefully about another Buffs win that should get them into the top 25. And let's not talk about what else could happen. Uh, it'll also be available on Twitter through Periscope, but that, I mean, Periscope is awful. It just never works. Um, and so if you choose that, just know that it's going to be glitching and freezing in the way that Periscope always does. I wish they would fix that. We'll see you then. I think they like my Colorado See you later, baby. baby. Colorado Army with soldiers like the Navy. Yeah. And voters where we stationed, patiently awaiting. Yeah. When I hit the field, it's so hard to behave. Yeah. I'm Colorado swagging as the crowd do the wave. Look into my eyes, I can tell that you afraid. Uh -huh. Cause you know we finna hit you. Hit you. Hit you. Hit you. Hey, hey. you on your own now. Why you watching the official? Yeah. You just better hope you make it to the next whistle. And we ain't playing with you, you can get it. Colorado swag, my Colorado 